Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, isn't he wonderful? Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's so good. I want to share with you this morning about Jehovah Rahai and it's the God who sees. You know, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> um, Jehovah is, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word for Lord. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we've talked about in the past the, the seven redemptive names of Jehovah, eight, depending on who you listen to, you know, uh, he's our healer, he's our provider, he's always present, he's our shepherd, um, whom? our peace, our banner, you know, and so he makes up all the, our righteousness, our sanctifier, but you know, even though we have those names of Jehovah, those redemptive names of Jehovah, it isn't a complete list of who Jehovah is. And, and the reason that that's so important to us is that God in the Old Testament is revealed to us um, through his redemptive names. That's who he was in the Old Testament. But we see Jesus in the New Testament that he was the fulfillment of all that. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctifier. He is our peace. He is our provider. He is our healer. He's all of those things in our life. And so we look to him. And so this morning, though, I want to look at Jehovah Rahai. I don't know for sure how you pronounce it. R-O-H-I. And it, it's that he who sees. And so the significance of that is whatever situation that we're in in life, we're not alone. He sees our situation. And he wants to meet that situation, whatever it may be. <clears throat> Hopefully within the next two weeks, I want to encourage everybody. Okay, I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you. Okay, you got that? I'm encouraging you. You know, for at least the next two weeks, really try to be here both of those weeks because I'm working on a message, <clears throat> and so you know it's got to be good if I'm working on it. <laughs> you know, because usually it's just, boom, there it is. But I'm working on it. But it's, it's about who God is and how he, how he reveals himself through the Word. That, that song that we sang, you know, about his Word, there's life in his Word. And uh, part of our motto, if you will, here at Abundant Life has always been, the word says that I believe it and that settles it. And you know, I think in, in the church today, even in Word of Faith churches, there, there's a moving away from that. Because we're not accepting the word of God as infallible, as as truth. 
You know, <clears throat> we have churches today that, that teach that creation didn't occur in a six-day period when God created us that it, was, that it evolved. That takes away from who God is. We have people, churches today, that are, that are preaching that the flood really never took place. It's taken away from the Word of God. And the problem is if we don't believe those things that are spoken in the Word, how do we believe the Word when it says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved? Where do we draw an end to it? And so I want to talk about that the next two weeks. And so <clears throat> I believe that it's a timely message. And I believe that it's an essential message. And it's a life-saving message. And so I want to encourage y'all to come. And I want you to encourage everybody that you don't see here this morning. I want you to encourage them to come as well. Because I believe that it's, it's really important. Because as the Church of Jesus Christ, we ought to be gaining more ground than we are. And it's because we haven't accepted what God said about us. But I want to talk with you this morning about the God who sees. When we struggle with issues that arise against us, we are drawn, we can draw encouragement in knowing that are we, not, that we are not doing, going through it, those issues alone. We're never alone. You know, one of the redemptive names of Jehovah is the Lord who is there. The Lord who is always present. And so he's always present. He's always there. But you know, there's sometimes we feel like, we think, <clears throat> why, why, doesn't, why doesn't God do something? We see all this stuff in the world. And we think, why doesn't God do something about it? Well, that's why this teaching that I'm going to be giving is so important because it comes down to why. And the other thing that we need to know about God <clears throat> is God isn't moved by need. Doesn't God see what's going on in the world? Yes, he is. But he's not moved by need because he set into motion certain laws and principles. And it's known as the law of faith. Need doesn't move God. Faith moves God. And that's why it's so important for us to understand the word of God and the principles of God's word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it always comes back to the word of God once again. But we look around us and we see need and we think, why doesn't God do something about it? But it requires faith to move in that situation so that he's able to do something about it. God, Jehovah Raha, is the God who sees. He sees everything that happens to us. And the thing that I want us to understand is he sees it and he cares about it. And that's why he's given us the avenues by which we can receive faith so that we can receive in every area where we have a need that God can provide, that God can meet that need. In a Jehovah who provides, he wants to provide, he wants to meet every one of our 
needs. As we see in Philippians 4.19, according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But it's God who wants to do that. Our God. Our Jehovah. He wants to meet every one of those needs. And, and the reason why it's so important for us to recognize this, it's twofold. The one is so that we see that he's there, that we know that he wants to meet that need, whatever it may be, but also that we realize the number one purpose that you and I are still sucking air is because God wants to use us. And when we realize that he's always there, we realize that he'll use us. If you've got your Bibles, turn them back to Genesis, the 16th chapter. It'll be up on the boards. Overhead, whatever you call them. But here in the Old Testament, we have Hagar. If you remember the story of Hagar, God had promised Abraham, Abram, and Sarah that they were going to have a child. And uh, <clears throat> Abraham's, at the time of the promise, is 90, and Sarah's a little younger than that. But they're not seeing the manifestation of it, not seeing it come to pass. And Sarah isn't getting any younger. I mean, Abraham's old lady was literally an old lady. And he's looking, and he's aware of the deadness of, his, of her womb and he's, he's in his 90s and it looks like there's no hope and Hagar was Sarah's maid, her servant. And so they came up with this plan to help out God. You ever been in that boat where you, things aren't going the way you think they ought to go and so you try to speed it up a little bit by helping out God? Well, that's what they were going to do. So Sarah gave Abram Hagar to go into her to have a child by her. And uh, the problem is, is as time went on, Sarah got jealous of Hagar and was abusive towards her, didn't treat her right. And eventually, Hagar got so discouraged, she took off. And so that's what we find in Genesis, the 16th chapter. We're going to look at the 7th verse. And so here she is. She ran away from the house, away from Sarah. And it says in the 7th verse, Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maiden, where have you come from and where are you going? And once again, just like with Adam, he's not asking because he didn't know, he knows. He's looking for her response. And the thing that I want you to recognize in this is here she is out in the desert, out in the middle of nowhere, but the Lord knows where she's at. And so he says to her, where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, 
Sarah, I'm getting away from this woman. She's treating me wrong. She's, but notice the angel was there, the angel of the Lord. Oftentimes in the scriptures when it's talking about the angel of the Lord, it's talking about <clears throat> the manifestation of Jesus. And so in a sense, we could say that Jesus sought her out. Then we go on into the ninth verse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this out of the Amplified. And it says, the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and humbly submit to her control. Isn't that interesting? He asked her to humbly submit to her control. Also, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants. In other words, if you will do this, you will be blessed. Your descendants will be multiplied. You know, and of course to us that doesn't seem like that, that big of a deal, but if you understand the culture of the day, um, your heritage was your inheritance or it was your blessing in your life. Remember, throughout the Old Testament, whenever um, somebody wasn't blessed, especially a woman or a family, uh, her womb was closed. She wasn't able to have children. And they saw that as a curse. See, your kids aren't a curse. <laughs> your kids are a blessing. Everybody turns to their children and says, oh, you're just such a blessing. I know Clint will love that. So. But our kids are a blessing. And so he says to her, go back to your mistress and humble, humbly submit to her. Also the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be numbered for multitude. In other words, you're not going to be able to count them all. And the angel of the Lord continued, See now, you are with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael. God hears. Because the Lord has heard and paid attention to your affliction. You ever notice sometimes when, and of course, probably none of you are ever there, but where you reach that low point, it's like nobody hears, God isn't hearing, he hears. This was a low point for Hagar. She had run away from her mistress. She had run away from everything that she was familiar with. She had gone into the wilderness. In other words, in that condition, she wasn't going to live very long. But she considered her condition so bad that that was the lesser of the two evils. But in the midst of that, God was there. God heard her. And God spoke to her. And he said to her, And he, Ishmael, will be as a wild ass among men. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he will live in the east and on the borders of his kinsmen. So he called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. 
You are a God of seeing. For she said, Have I not even here in the wilderness looked upon you who sees me and lived? And I have also seen the future purpose or design of him who sees me. And so notice what happens. He's, he's there to meet her immediate need, but he's also there to see or to lead us into the future. You know, every one of us in this room, we have a future, we have a, we have a purpose. But oftentimes we lose sight of our purpose because we lose sight of him. He sees us, but we're not seeing him. And the moment we stop seeing him and hearing him and listening to him, you know, there's only one thing good about a crisis. The only thing good about a crisis is you're, you're in a position where you can't, hi, Justin. Just notice you sitting there. Figured since there were three in that front row, it was just one of the other boys. <clears throat> But see, the, the thing about it is, is when we lose sight of him, we lose sight of where he wants to take us, where he wants us to go. You have a future. You have a purpose. God has a future. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. He has a destiny. You know, we hear so much about today, and the evils of the day that we're in. I even hear people periodically compare the day that we're in to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, some of the events that may be taking place may be similar to that. But I can guarantee you something. We've got more than 10. Destroyed the city because there weren't enough. I know there were enough. And we're a voice. But you know, you and I, we have to realize that we're a voice. And it's not just a voice to say whatever we want to say. We're a voice so that God Almighty can speak through us. And you know what? We need to rely on him. You know, notice what it says here about Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Muslim nations. And it says that he's going to Hate all, and he's going to be hated by all. He's going to live on the fringes. I've seen some of that territory that they possess, and I don't want it. It's nothing compared to the blessed land that we live in here. And they may be trying to take that title away from us, but we're not going to allow it to be taken from us. We the United States of America is still a Christian nation. We may not always act like it, but we are a Christian nation. And as a Christian nation, we reap the benefits thereof. And so you're a blessed person. You're blessed because you're a child of God, because God our Father is our Father. And you're blessed because you're a citizen of a godly nation. Yes, there's things that need to change. There's things that are corrupt. But we're still 
a Christian nation. And so here she is, she's in the wilderness. God is there. The angel of the Lord is there. He sees her difficulty. And because she's willing to listen to him, he's able to lead her out of that dark place to where she can be a blessing. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eye of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God wants to show himself strong to you and I. And he says he shows himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. To those whose heart is loyal to him. You know, <clears throat> we may not always do as we ought. But we need to guard our heart. We need to make sure that our heart is loyal to him because if our heart is loyal to him, even though we get off the path, we'll get back on it. Because he'll lead us that way. And so he wants to bring blessing. It says, his, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself. Notice this, God wants to show himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Or we could put it this way, God wants to show off in your life. He wants to demonstrate to others through you how wonderful, how faithful, how good he is. And if we'll but yield to him, we allow him to do so. You know, when things get tough, sometimes we think that God doesn't understand. But you know, the Bible says that he's gone through all that we go through, except for sin. Every temptation that's come our way, he's gone through it. Every test to try to get us to fold up and quit and say, it's no use. Doesn't pay. Guess what? Every one of those temptations came against Jesus. Well, I don't know about that. In the wilderness. After fasting for 40 days, the enemy shows up and he tempts him tempts him with food, tempts him with position, tempts him with power. Says, all this of the world, I'll give it to you. If you but bow down and worship me. Every day we're, we're, we're tempted with that. Every day the things of this world. Say, if you just had this car, if you just had this job, or if you just had this much money, Everything would be wonderful to you and all you have to do is bow down. 
All you have to do is give in just a little bit and all of this will be yours. There's just one problem with it and Jesus was aware of this. The devil is a liar and has been a liar from the beginning. <clears throat> this will be a huge revelation to you. So you might want to write this down. Liars lie. That's what they do. Amen. Glory to God. Got an amen out of the phone. Praise the Lord. Liars lie. And he's the father of lies. And he promises you success. He promises you happiness. He promises you joy. He promises you all of these things. But he's a liar. And he's been a liar from the beginning. And so he'll promise you the world. Promise Jesus the world. But what did Jesus do? He approached him according to the word of God. He says there's but one God. And you're not the one. And every time this world raises its ugly head against you and promises you something, you need to just look at it and say, you're not my God. There's only one God, and you're not it. I serve the one true God, Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and my Savior. And he's given me the victory in all things. Jesus in the garden. Do you think that he was not tempted? Why do you think when he prayed, he dropped, he, he, he sweat drops of blood? I mean, that's the deepest form of anguish that you can enter into. What was Jesus wrestling with? Jesus didn't defeat the cross at Calvary. He defeated the cross in the garden. And he cried out to Father God and he says, Father, if there be any other way, let's do that. Why? Because he knew what was in store for him. He knew that he was going to be beaten beyond recognition. He knew that he was going to die the most hideous death it is possible to die. That's on the cross. He knew that after his death, he was going to spend time in hell being tormented by the devil and all of his imps. He knew that. And so he said, Father, if there be any other way, yet not my will, your will be done. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus was willing to pay that ultimate pitiful price for you and I so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly? 1 Peter 3, 12 and 13, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Aren't you glad? says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. We qualify because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his eyes are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
And who is he who will harm you if you become a follower of what is good? What's it saying? Saying we should be a follower of what is good. You know, we talk about grace and as, as, as grace folk, people accuse us, say, well, you know, you think you're under grace, so you think you can do whatever you want. No, that isn't true. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't want to do whatever I want. Because I know if I do whatever I want, it's going to lead to destruction. I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to do good. And once again, coming back to the Word of God, that's why the Word of God is so exciting. Because the Word of God reveals to us good. And it shows us something that we can follow after. And when we follow after good, the Bible says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Galatians 6 chapter, whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And so I don't know about you, I want good. And so if I want good, that means I'm going to sow good. And there's another reason why we sow good. Because we're created in the image of God. And God is good. And so as we follow after him, the only thing that we're going to produce in our life, it's going to be good. And so as we follow after him by grace, we do good. You know, the other thing about it is in the old covenant, for them to approach God, they had to go through a priest. They had to find a priest. I guess it was job security. I don't need job security. I'm old. But see, you don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through the man of God. You are the man of God. You are the woman of God. That means God sees you. And God wants to speak to you. And God wants you to see him in every circumstance that you encounter in life. Why? Because he's a good God. He's a wonderful God. Listen to this. This is talking about that in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 14th verse. It says, Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so our high priest is Jesus. And so we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And Jesus is our priest, our representative, who speaks on our behalf. And the wonderful thing about it is, is he's able to sympathize with us because he understands what we go through. But we have access. We can pray directly to the Father. I don't read Hebrews, the fourth chapter again. Only this time, uh, the 14th verse through the 16th, I want to read out of the Message Bible. And it says, now that we know what we have, Jesus, 
this high priest with ready access to God. Do we know what we have? We ought to know what we have. We have access through Jesus. Let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give us. Take the mercy, accept the help. Access to the Father through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul makes this statement. He says, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. Hopefully, when you come here on Sunday morning, you're getting a little watering. There's a little planting going on. But you need to understand something. The increase comes from God. And so, to simply hear without hearing, it doesn't produce anything. But when we hear through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and He speaks directly to each of our hearts, we have increase. We increase, we grow. We, and what's the purpose of growth? The purpose of growth is harvest. You don't plant that seed just so that it can grow up and you're looking, well, that's a nice field of corn. Hallelujah. No, you want that corn out of that field, right? And so next week is dry weather. It's going to evaporate supernaturally. Our farmers are going to be out in the field and they're going to harvest the harvest, an abundant harvest. And I haven't heard any reports, but I can just imagine the reports. Oh, it's been so wet. It's not going to produce. I It's going to, all, all the negativity. Well, you're blessed in Jesus' name because yes. you're a child of God. And what may not be possible in the natural is possible in the supernatural because of the God that we serve. But why do you plant the seed? You plant the seed for the harvest. I've never run into a farmer yet that just simply plants the seed for the joy of planting the seed. There's joy in planting the seed. But it's knowing that fall's coming in this part of the world. And there's going to be a bountiful harvest. And so why is the seed planted in your heart and my heart? The seed, the Word of God. It's to produce a harvest. It's to produce fruit. It's so that we can be effective in this world that we live in. That we might grow to our full potential. You know, there's a principle in the Word. It's 
not exactly spelled out, but I see it throughout the scripture, and it's, I call it the generational transfer. Brother Hagen understood it because he would tell everybody that graduated from Raymond, anybody that read his books and tapes, he said, read them, uh, listen to them, outline them, preach them, but don't stop there. You can go further than what I ever imagined. I don't know of a father, a godly father, that doesn't want his children to go further than what he went. <clears throat> Why do fathers do what they do? They do it so that they can provide for their families so that their families could go further than them. I want my kids to be successful and every one of my children are successful and every one of my children are going to be more successful in life than I ever imagined. Because of the generational transfer that is part of that to pass them on down the road. Why do we go to church? We go to church for the generational transfer. And it isn't just because I'm way older than y'all. It's because I've received something and I want to give it to you so that you can take it and you can go further with your life. Further with what Jesus has for each and every one of you. That's what the generational transfer is. But you know what? Oftentimes, individuals are, are unwilling to receive that. They reject their heritage. That can be in the natural, and it's also true in the spiritual realm. People reject their heritage, and as a result, they don't get that bump. They're on their own. I remember when I went to I was getting ready to go to COC, Christian Outreach School of Ministries. And my pastor, he stopped in to see me the day that we were leaving and just to say goodbye. And we we're part of a denominational church. And he said, he said, Dave, you're doing the right thing. And he says, I believe you're doing the right thing, which shocked me because I thought he would have wanted me to go to the seminary that he had come out of. And he says, no, you're doing the right thing. Because all that I see coming out of our seminaries are a cookie cutter of the past. You know, <clears throat> to progress forward, you have to move forward. Thank God for our heritage. Thank God for what we've learned. Thank God for that foundation. And the problem with some of moving forward is people leave all that behind. That's what I'm going to cover the next two weeks. But we need to progress forward. We need to take what's been given to us and not settle, but move on. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're talking about he who sees. The Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, 
We're going to begin in the, the second verse. And it says, Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive him, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. What did Jesus do? He preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a, paral bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they broke through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was, was lying. <clears throat> now wouldn't that be exciting? On Sunday morning, we were having a healing service. And it was so stinking crowded in here, nobody could get through those doors. And somebody, all of a sudden, we hear this ruckus on the roof. And all of a sudden, the drop ceiling begins to drop. And they let down a guy, and he's on a stretcher. And they were so determined, they were so convinced that if we can just simply get him to where the manifestation of Jesus is, he'll be healed. They went through all that work. Well, you know, the roofs probably weren't as good back then. They probably weren't. But they didn't have cranes either. It was a lot of work. But they tore it apart so that they could get this man in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because they believed something. Because it says, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus saw something. You know, faith is visible. Sometimes it's the words that we speak. Sometimes it's our actions. Sometimes it's just the way we carry ourselves. But faith is visible. In the world that we look in, we live in, they're looking for something visible. They're looking for something tangible. They're looking for faith. We think the world is totally against us as Christians. They're not. They say they are, but they're really not. What they're looking for is somebody that can succeed and be victorious and be happy. Because let me tell you something about the world. They're not happy. Why do, they, why do you think they do all the disgusting things that they do? Because they're trying to be happy. They're trying to find an avenue to bring joy and peace into their life. And the problem is, is they're looking in all the wrong places. They're not looking in the Word of God. And so Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. What an interesting thought. They bring him to be healed and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's what faith will do for you. But you know what? Then he healed him. And he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. 
get up and go home. Jesus has forgiven your sins. But you know what? The same Jesus that forgives your sins is the same Jesus that's your healer. And they saw something. Jesus saw something. He's looking for something. He's looking for faith in the earth. We say, well, I just don't know why he doesn't use me. He's looking for you. He's looking for faith. He wants to use you. But you know what? So often, we revert back to the things of the world. Let's turn over to Mark, the sixth chapter. The 34th verse. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved by compassion because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Jesus saw the multitude. And what did he do? He began to teach them. He taught them. His compassion led him to teach them. Remember the first time we went to the Philippines and, and uh, when I got back, Doug up at the radio station wanted to interview me. And so he sat down and was being interviewed and, and he, he, he talked about, he says, you know, as much money as it costs to go over there, I don't know if he did this on I don't remember the interview. I think he asked me this later. He says, wouldn't it have been better for you to just send the money over and uh, feed some people rather than go over there? And, and I says, well, no, because I went to preach the word. And you can, you, you've heard the old saying, you can, you can give somebody a fish it's hungry a fish, and once the fish is gone, they're going to be hungry again. Or you can teach somebody to fish, and they don't ever have to be hungry again. So I remember I asked Jimmy about that. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. He says, the fact that you came, and so this includes when we go to Honduras and other areas as well. He said, the fact that you came, it speaks volumes to the people here that somebody cares. And that when you come and you preach the word, you demonstrate to them the compassion that you care. You know, <clears throat> why, why, why do we preach the word? It isn't just to have a job. It's because of compassion, knowing that if you hear the word and you receive the word and you apply the word in your life, your life will never be the same again. You can, you can meet somebody's need, but they're going to have another need. If we don't teach them how to have those needs met in their life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then I'm just going through a vicious cycle. I don't want to go through that vicious cycle.
I want to ex experience the victory that's mine and live in it and walk in it, abide in it, make my home in it with Jesus. That's what faith does for us. And so Jesus saw the multitude and compassion moved him to preach to them. You know, it's interesting. Here, compassion moved Jesus to preach. Other places, compassion moved Jesus to feed the 5,000 and the 7,000. And in another place, compassion moved Jesus to raise from the dead the child of the widow woman. Compassion moved him. We see over and over again how compassion moves Jesus to heal the sick. But here we see compassion moved Jesus to preach the word. Because Jesus knew something. He knew what Paul was going to write in Romans after he was gone. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And without faith, you always have to have somebody in your life to build you up, to lift you up, to get whatever it is that you need. But when you have faith, glory to God. When you have faith, nothing is impossible to you when you have faith. That's why faith is so important. In Mark, the 12th chapter, the 41st verse. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mints, which make a quandum. And so he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put, all, put in all she had, her whole livelihood. And once again, I want you to know something. Jesus sees this. And he says, he's not, he's not telling us, oh, we all need to take a vow of poverty and next Sunday all of you bring in all your treasury to me and I'll take care of it for you. No, no, he's not asking us to take a vow of poverty. He's saying, but we need to be giving in faith. This woman gave in faith, gave everything that she had, and I believe she gave knowing that God was going to provide her the increase, the supply, every one of her needs. Everyone else stayed in their own strength. Well, we'll give this much, that won't hurt us that much. 
No, he wants us in faith. He wants us to abide in faith. He wants us to walk in faith. So, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. How can we know that when we give, there's going to be an increase? Because God notices. The Bible says that God will be indebted to no man. So he says that when we supply the needs... He's going to take care of our needs, whatever they, whatever they may be. He notices. This is what I want us to see in this. In each of these situations that I mentioned, Jesus noticed. Jesus was there. Jesus saw. And I believe in return, in each of these situations, they were able to see Jesus. And they were able to see him for who he truly was. One last passage. Let's turn to Luke, the 10th chapter. Luke, the 10th chapter in the 30th verse. Then Jesus answered and said, remember he was talking to him about your neighbor and they said, who's their neighbor? And so Jesus answered and said he's answering their question. He says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he's talking about a priest here. Saw it, passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. A Levite would have been the religious folk of the day. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Notice they looked, they gawked, probably thought, mm, that's too bad, poor thing and they passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, the reason why this is so important is a Samaritan was considered a second-class citizen. They were a lower class. If you remember, Jesus at the well. And there was a Samaritan woman there that he spoke to. And if you remember, when his disciples came back from town after getting food, they were surprised that Jesus, a Jew, would talk to a Samaritan because of her position in life, of who she was. See, prejudice isn't a new thing. It goes all the way back to the biblical times. And so a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. What was it that moved Jesus? It was always compassion. It was never, it was never pity. Pity will look at something and say, oh, that's pitiful. <laughs> compassion moves you to do something about it. Compassion isn't just feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion 
moves you to do something about it. <clears throat> Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? He shepherded them. He pastored them. He fed them. He was moved by compassion. Here this Samaritan man, it says that he's moved by compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It was used as disinfectant and to clean the wounds. You know, a lot teach along these lines, they talk about the oil and the wine, that it's uh, oil and wine are both <clears throat> in the scriptures types of the Holy Spirit. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Didn't just look at him and say, oh, you poor thing. Picked him up, put him on his own animal, walked with him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. And so this wasn't a cheap thing because a denarii is to, considered to be the equivalent of a day's wage. And so he gave him two denarii for a man that he didn't know. All he knew was he had a need. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and ever, whenever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And so then he goes on and he says, So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the three, the thieves? And they said, well, of course, the Samaritan, the one who helped him. But notice what religion did. The priest, the Levite, they went around the other side and just totally ignored the need. The Samaritan, the one that was unaccepted by society. You know, for years, I wanted to put a weekly article in the paper. And I wanted to entitle it, That Church. Because we've always been that church. You know, and so for, you know, what the world would refer to as the high church or the accepted church, we've not always fit into that category. So in a sense, we're kind of like, or we identify with the Samaritan. Because our goal hasn't, has not to be like the priests and the Levites. But see a world going to hell in a handbasket, people not knowing Jesus, as their personal Lord and Savior, and for us to step back and look at it and say, hmm, that's too bad. That's why we give the portion of our budget to missions that we give. Because it's our assignment 
to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. That's why we have individuals that have come out of our church and we've gone in groups to the mission field. Why? Because it's our assignment. Moved by compassion to see that the gospel is preached, they have the opportunity to hear. Why are we here in this community? We're not here to just to have another church. We're here for a purpose. Why do we go to the prison? With compassion, we preach the gospel. Why do we have the children's ministry? Compassion, we preach the gospel. Why do we have Sunday morning and Wednesday evening? Compassion, we preach the gospel. Because the only hope of the world is Jesus. If you don't like what you see around you, allow Jesus to live big within you so that those around you, your community, can see that there's hope. Because we are living in a world that is filled with hopelessness. And that's getting broader. Because even those that consider themselves to be church today, they don't know Jesus. They know about Jesus. But they don't know the reality of Jesus. Because they no longer accept the word of God as truth. And the moment that you cease to accept the word of God as truth, you begin to buy the law. I mean the lie. And the lie is, this world has something to offer us. It does. Ultimately, death and destruction. But Jesus has something to offer us. The world has something to offer us. And what it offers us is life. He's there. No matter what circumstance we're in right now, Jesus is present. He sees. And not as only is he present, not only does he see, he wants to do something about it. But you know what? The number one way that he's going to do something about it is by speaking to you and me and showing us what to say, what to do in that particular situation. You have the Holy Spirit. I've heard it so often from people. Well, I don't hear from God. Well, then let's get you born again. Because the moment that you're born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence on the inside of you. And he's speaking to you. He's sharing truth with you. And we simply have to be in a position to hear and be willing to receive what he has to say to us. And then we follow his guidance. And as we do that, we're going to experience the abundance that he desires for each and every one of us. We're going to fulfill the purpose and the destiny 
that God has for us. Glory to God. He's so wonderful. He's so great. He's awesome. It's groovy. That's our God. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to seal this word today by receiving Holy Communion. So if I can have the ushers and the elders come forward and begin to pass out the elements. And one of the reasons why communion is important to us is because Jesus said that we're to do it in remembrance of him. And so we're reminded of what he's done for each and every one of us. And, and so we're reminded this morning, you know, this is simply a physical piece of bread. But this piece of bread, Jesus said that when we receive it, we're to receive it in remembrance of him, recognizing that he's here right now. And when we're in his presence, every need is met. Peace is available that goes beyond our ability to comprehend. All of that is because of Jesus and because of what he's done for each and every one of us. We all know that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says he took bread and he gave thanks. And it says after he'd given thanks, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, eat ye all of it, every one of you, eat from this. When you receive this bread, he said, do it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, when we're receiving Holy Communion, we're not concentrating on you. You're not concentrating on your failings, your shortcomings. You're not looking at how unworthy you may feel. You're looking at Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith, the one who gave his life so that you and I might have life, Jesus. So this represents the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, which was broken for you. Receive it in remembrance of him. Then, of course, there's the two elements. There's the grape juice that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And the reason that this is so important is we constantly have to be reminded of our righteousness, of our position 
in Jesus. Brother Copeland, years back, he taught a message. And the title of the message was Righteousness Consciousness. And the, the thrust of the message was, we ought not, as believers, we ought not to have a sin consciousness. We should have a righteousness consciousness. And see, living in this world, living where we live, it's so easy to fall back into a consciousness of our failings, our shortcomings. Everything around us wants to remind us that we've, we've come up short. But we're not to have a failure consciousness, a sin consciousness. We're to have a consciousness that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for you was more than enough. And sin no longer has a voice in my life. And so when it tries to raise its ugly head and tell us we're not worthy of his love and of his goodness, we just simply shut it down by saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so this juice, it represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, which was shed for you, that your sin might be forgiven, that you may no longer be tormented by a sense of guilt and shame, but you might know that what Jesus did for you was more than enough. The blood of Christ, which has been shed for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Now, Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you, Father, that the victory truly is ours. And we thank you, Father, that we have the confidence, the assurance, that every situation that we encounter in life, that you see it. And you see it not for the purpose of condemning us, but you see it for the purpose that you might lead us, guide us, and direct us into truth that we might walk in the full victory that is ours. And so we thank you for that today. And Father, I ask a blessing upon these your people. I pray that you might bless them with your peace, with your joy, with your comfort. I pray that they might have an understanding of your love, your concern, and that they might experience faith. That faith that receives from you all that you've made available. And Father, I pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. Real quick. I don't like being in front of a bunch of people, but I, something happened today that's 
pretty funny. I like to say irony is what pokes fun at the world. I was on my phone following along on the Bible, and algorithms bring up advertising. As I'm following what Pastor Dave is saying, I get one that says, why people believe the Bible is destructive. So I blocked it. I turned to Zandra, and I'm sharing this with her. And then Pastor Dave says, liars lie. And my phone goes, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is amen to that. <laughs> so ding, ding, ding is our no amen, amen, amen. Eh? <laughs> Thank you. Be blessed.